Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. A nine-year-old, known for brightening up the neighborhood with her Broadway-like performances in the driveway. A school custodian who loved students like they were his own kids. And a school leader who was determined to help every child, no matter what challenges they faced. These were some of the victims of Monday's rampage at the Covenant School in Nashville, where three students and three adults were killed. Authorities identified the victims at a small Christian school as Evelyn Deakhouse, Haley Scruggs, and William Kinney, all age nine. School head Catherine Kuntz, 60. Substitute teacher Cynthia Pink, 61. And school custodian Mike Hill, 61. Investigators were still looking into the motive for the shooting as details about the lives it cut short emerged. Evelyn was everything a nine-year-old should be. She was in and out of our house on a regular basis playing tag, said next-door neighbor Nick Regal, whose two children played with her. There were often games of hangman and laughter coming from the back porch, she said, and plenty of fun times during the day and evenings. But it was the lively outdoor theater performances in which Evelyn and other neighborhood kids each chose a character from the Broadway hit Hamilton that Regal said he will remember the most. They worked really hard on Hamilton, Regal said, adding that all the children proudly learned 20 minutes of the popular show. Clay Stoffer, senior minister of Woodmont Christian Church, where Evelyn's family are members, shared a statement on the family's behalf. Our hearts are completely broken, the family said. We cannot believe this has happened. Evelyn was a shining light in this world. We appreciate all the love and support but ask for space as we grieve, the statement added. Evelyn's older sister cried at a vigil Monday night at Woodmont. She could be heard saying through the tears, I don't want to be an only child. House and size Covenant Presbyterian Church, the Covenant School serves preschoolers through sixth graders. On Tuesday morning, a mound of teddy bears and flowers placed by mourners rested by the entrance. Haley, another child killed in the school, the shooting, was the daughter of Chad Scruggs, a pastor at Covenant Presbyterian Church. She was the youngest and the only daughter out of the Scruggs' four children, said Mark Davis, a senior pastor at Park City's Presbyterian, where Scruggs used to work. She held her own against three boys. She was always just a radiant little girl. And that radiance, I believe, was Jesus in her. Hill, 61, the school custodian, was a sweet man who was called Big Mike, according to the former covenant pastor. He loved the kids in the school, Jim Bachman added, that Hill was like the father figure to them. The kids loved him too. Bachman said Hill was sometimes a greeter for church services at Stevens Valley Church in Nashville, where Bachman is now the senior pastor. When he was greeting, he dressed just like he was going to meet the president, Bachman said, adding Hill would wear a suit and tie and his shoes polished. Bachman's wife, Kristen, added that Hill would stop what he was doing and give you a big hug as soon as you walked in the door. Because that's how he treated everybody, she said. 
Hill's family said in a statement that he was the father of seven children and had 14 grandchildren. The statement said that they're so grateful that Michael was beloved by the faculty and students who filled him with joy for 14 years. Peek, the substitute teacher who was killed, graduated from Texas Christian University in 1983. A spokesperson for the college said Tuesday. Louisiana State Representative Charles Ancy Owen grew up in Leesville, Louisiana with Peek. The world is missing a sweet soul who cared about people, Owen said. She was a devout follower of the Lord Jesus. She was very outgoing, but gentle in her faith. Kuntz, Covenant's head of school, was described by former students as a champion to all children, whether they faced learning difficulties or were gifted and needed extra challenges. Barrett Severance, 33, credited Kuntz with helping him graduate high school. He knew her when she worked at Christ Presbyterian Academy, a small private Christian school he attended in Nashville. I was not a great student, so I saw Catherine before school and after school and in the summers in between. She fought for her students oftentimes as we quit fighting for ourselves, he said. I definitely credit my graduation date to her not giving up on me. Another former student, Robert Gay, also knew Kuntz as Christ Presbyterian Academy, which he attended from 2000 to 2006. She loved people and students and children and families in a way that she would describe as loving them through God's eyes, he said. A statement from Kuntz's family released Wednesday called her devoted to her family, her friends, and especially the children she cared for. She gave her life to protect the students she loved, the statement said, adding, we are grateful for the prayers of many on our behalf and we pray for the families of the six others who died. The human God enters into our world and experiences all forms of loss and devastation to offer us salvation through solidarity. In this series, we've talked a lot about Jesus as the fully human one and the fully divine, that he's all in on being God at all times, and that he's all in on being a human being at all times. And as we remember this final week of Jesus's life, resisting that temptation to run ahead to the Easter message, to skip over the darkness so that we can receive the joy of resurrection, we have to slow down and we have to remember that we perceive a God who weeps, a God who experiences the whole human drama. We see a God who speaks to his followers, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death in Gethsemane. We see a God who bear, begs his father to take this cup, yet not your will but mine be done. And we see a God on the cross who cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabatani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Before he breathes his last. But as many of you know, our society does not value grieving. Because slowing down to feel pain and loss gets in the way of all this success that we feel we're owed. 
slowing down to feel pain and loss offends the strength that we feel we have to convey at all times, even sometimes in the name of Jesus. And so what do we do when we experience extraordinary loss and devastation? Sometimes we choose the optimistic move. We, we reframe failure as an opportunity for growth. And we're often patted on the back for that for continuing to move forward as quickly as possible to move on to the next thing. Some of us take the pessimistic move. We defend ourselves against being affected by life. And we say, well, I never really cared in the first place. Or some of us believe that the invitation to feel is manipulative. How dare you make me feel my feelings? And we walk through life with our fists up, constantly guarding ourselves against anyone who would seek to take advantage of us that we might feel the full spectrum of human emotion. Some of us were trained by our own communities of faith to make the theological move, which is where we have our neat and tidy little atonement theories that iron out all the wrinkles of suffering and the drama of the human experience and, and turn God's story into some sort of a math equation that we stand up when we recite without continuing, like contemplating the radical connotations of what it is we're saying about God and what God has experienced on our behalf. But all these intellectual defenses, whether they're the rational ones, they're based on fear, or they're based on our own theology, remove us from the honest moment. They remove us from what it makes us human. They remove us from what makes God human. And then we can never bear witness to our own stories and the stories of other people. And this way of being in the world, of seeking to protect ourselves from the dark emotions, this way of continuing just to move forward, manifest destiny onwards and upwards, success upon success, leads us to a perpetual state of numbness. This week's tragedy, the shooting in Nashville that claimed three young lives and three lives of educators, is yet another reminder of our pain diverted by callousness or rage? How long did it take for us to jump to pointing fingers and looking for someone to blame that so often our anger is a cover over for those feelings of being scared, of being sad? But we don't give ourselves permission to feel these things and we just chalk up more statistics. We add more just little chits onto our team's way of proving our point. And I wonder what would happen to a nation that actually slowed down to feel and grieve the loss of children. Because the way that we do it is the most ungodly way. The human God enters in to experience all forms of loss and devastation. And that is what this week is about. 
It's bearing witness to the human God who experiences abandonment, neglect, abuse, torture, and crucifixion. And today, we remember one of these most sacred days that so often gets passed over in our culture, Good Friday. And the Good Friday opens us up through grieving to receive the hope of resurrection on Easter Sunday, that the human God will indeed overcome all evil. I don't want to show up here next Sunday still numb. I'm sick of it. I don't know if you are as well of playing the role of the good little Christian boy or the good little Christian girl that goes through the motions that shows up because you're just checking off a box. I want to enter into Easter Sunday with the joy of believing that resurrection is actually possible. But every page of scripture tells me that in order to do that, I have to experience the reality of Good Friday, that none of us can enter into Easter Sunday until we experience Good Friday. Because if we try to skip over, we just enter into trivial things. We make it about chocolate and baskets and brunch and family, and none of it means anything. None of it sinks deep into our souls. None of it actually brings us new resurrected life. We continue to cover over the dark emotions that we're meant to feel in this season so that we can lay claim to all that God has to offer us. And often we take this passion narrative, talking about the, the last week of Jesus' life, we take it, this journey with our minds and not our hearts. We look for the theological doctrines and the correct way of believing these things so that we can ensure that we are on the right side of God, but we never really feel our way through the story, again, because so many of us believe to, to feel on behalf of what someone else presents us with is us being manipulated. But what if we were to enter into this portion of the Jesus narrative to believe that God weeps with us? Whenever we weep, God weeps with us. Whenever we rejoice, God rejoices within us. Because the human God, the God that we see revealed in Jesus, is compelled to draw close to us in suffering. He cannot help himself but be close to you. When you suffer, when you experience pain, when you come to terms with loss and devastation, the God of the universe feels it in his gut and he can't not be close to you. Because this is the foundational thing that we know about God. And so our experience today is intended to engage our emotional intelligence, walking the cruciform path, not of the mind, but of the heart, so that we might bear witness to the loss of God on our behalf and grieve the passion story. We're going to begin Act 1 experiencing the mother's loss that Mary, as the mother of Jesus, is witnessing the loss of her beloved son, trying to come to terms with an entire lifetime of prophetic pronouncements of who he is to be, not just for her and her people, but for the whole world. And in that place, Mary holds the space for each of us, that we are the human beings who hold 
God, wondering how this is going to turn out. We're going to experience in Act 2 the loss of the Father, that God looks down upon Jesus on the cross, not with a sense of contempt or disgust, because God has this thing called wrath that he needs to put somewhere, and Jesus just happens to be the one to take it. But we enter into a father whose heart is broken for the loss of his son. We experience divinity itself grieving. In the third act, we experience the loss of the son through the words of Psalm 22 that Jesus recites on the cross, this feeling of fear, of wrestling between hope and hopelessness, constantly saying, please take this cup from me, but yet not your will, or not my will, but yours be done. And we witness the God who experiences the loss of God on our behalf. And in Act 4, we begin to recognize that when all has been stripped away, when there seems like there's nothing for us to hold on to and nothing to hold on to us, we realize that the one thing that has remained when sin and death have done their worst is love. That love is what remains when we endure through pain and loss. Love is what remains. So I'm gonna pray and we're gonna ask the Spirit to work through this time, that we might experience the stations of the heart. Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray you graciously to behold this, your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and given into the hands of sinners and to suffer death upon the cross who now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.